Good morning. It is a tremendous morning to be here to worship together and especially privileged to have Daniel and Damaris here to share their work with us and your, your life's calling. Uh, to give us the opportunity to partner with what you're doing is a privilege to us. And so thank you for, uh, for sharing and thank you, Steve, for hooking us up. So appreciate that. Would you now bow with me as we enter the Lord's Word in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have this privilege to enter your Word every single day, and that every week we can come together and worship and to center our our hearts together as a community on what you have for us, and how we can live this out not only in isolation, but together in community. And that, Lord, this community is not just isolated or localized to Killarney, Lord. This community spreads out around the globe. That, Lord, we have brothers and sisters who we are partnering with working in many nations around this world, from, from Papua New Guinea to uh, Eastern Europe to Asia uh, to Africa, Lord. We have this tremendous privilege to share in what you're doing and spreading the good news about Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, that as we reflect on this and uh, the power that the word of the gospel has for our lives, I pray, Lord, that we would be renewed and and filled with passion again to just make you known, Lord, wherever we are. So I ask your blessing by your Holy Spirit upon this word. In your name I pray. Amen. At a meeting of Baptist leaders in England in the late 1700s, a newly ordained minister stood within the meeting to argue for the value of overseas missions. However, as he began to make his case, he was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who said, Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathens, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Thankfully, having been rebuked in such a stern way, thankfully this young man did not allow that rebuke to deter him from what he felt God was calling him to do. And in fact, if he had heeded that rebuke, the world today would be a very different place. However, it did not come easily, this call to obedience. In fact, for this young preacher named Will, it came at a very high personal cost. In his very next sermon, he argued passionately that Jesus' Great Commission applied not only to the disciples of Jesus' day, but to Christians of all time. And he declared... Multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater plight of their fellow sinners, who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. But Will didn't stop there. In 1792, he organized a missionary society, and at its inaugural meeting, he preached a sermon with the call, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And within a year, Will, along with his wife and family, which now included three boys and another child on the way, together with a surgeon named John Thomas, were on a ship headed for India. However, they had grossly underestimated what it would cost to live in India, and their early years were miserable. When John Thomas finally had had enough and deserted the enterprise, Will was forced to move his family repeatedly as he sought employment that could sustain them. Illness began to rack the family, and loneliness and regret soon began to sink in. He wrote in his diary, I am in a strange land, no Christian friends, a large family, 
and nothing to supply their needs. But he also retained hope and wrote, Well, I have God, and his word is sure. When Will contracted malaria and then his five-year-old boy died of dysentery, it became too much for his wife Dorothy to bear, and her mental health soon began to deteriorate rapidly. He wrote again in his journal, This is indeed the valley of the shadow of death for me, but yet I rejoice that I am here and God is here. It took seven years after arriving in India before Will baptized his first convert. In fact, by the time Will passed away some 41 years later, he had spent that entire time in India without one furlough. His mission could count only some 700 converts in those 41 years amongst a nation of millions. Some could argue that his time had been spent in an exercise of futility. And yet, in those 41 years, he had laid an impressive foundation of Bible translation, education, and social reform. And today, William Carey is remembered as the father of modern missions. And his devotion and life's work to making Jesus known in India not only laid the foundation for the Christian church there that today numbers in the millions, but it also inspired another generation of missionaries who followed in his footsteps— Men who were impressed not only by William Carey's example, but by his words. Expect great things for God. Attempt great things for God. And these men have names like Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, and David Livingston, among thousands others. And those men of faith, so inspired by his example, went out and then inspired another generation of Christians to take that gospel of Jesus Christ even further. And as a result, we heard this morning about how mission organizations like MAF arose to meet a specific need of transporting these missionaries to the most remote and unreached parts of our planet. Men like Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCauley. These men volunteered to make contact with the Aka Indians in the 1950s a Stone Age tribe that was infamous for its violence and savagery. And those men willingly risked their lives to make Jesus known to a people who had never heard his name before and lost their lives as a result. Once again, we could say an exercise in futility, misguided enthusiasm, but their deaths were not in vain. In fact, seven of their nine killers and many others from the Aka tribe eventually came to Christ as a result of their sacrifice. But the even greater impact occurred when people around the world heard the story of these men and the tens of thousands of people who volunteered to go into the mission field to take their place as a result. And today we are still living in the legacy of great men who are willing to risk everything to make Jesus known where his name had never before been heard. But let me ask you, what would have happened what would have happened if that young William Carey had simply gone home and said, you know what, that old preacher's right. If God wants to convert the heathens, he'll do it without you or me. He's God after all, he doesn't need me. What would have happened if he just said, I'll just stay at home in my little church and do what I can here? Well, for starters, he wouldn't be remembered today as the father of modern missions. In fact, he probably wouldn't be remembered at all. But far beyond William Carey's personal legacy, 
how many millions of people over the past 250 years since then would have died without ever once hearing about Jesus Christ or the good news of the gospel. But William Carey did not go home and quit that day. No, he renewed his commitment to be obedient to what God had called him to do. And because he had the faith and courage to expect great things for God, from God, and attempt great things for God, God did a great work through his life. He embodies our text for this morning, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. I want to draw your attention there this morning. Romans chapter 10, if you turn there in your Bibles, let's meditate on this verse Verses 14 and 15, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This isn't news to any one of us. We're all fully aware. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul asks this question. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him Unless someone tells them. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is what the scriptures mean when they say, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Today, I want to ask you a question, a simple question. Have you heard the good news? Yes, I heard one yes. How about the rest of you? Have you heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Give me a thumbs up. Put your hand up. Okay. So I don't need to tell you again, do I? You've all heard it. Not once, not twice. You've heard it dozens, countless, of, countless times. You've heard it so many times that you could recite, you know, the, the basic elements of the gospel message forwards and backwards in your sleep. You don't need a preacher up here to tell you what the gospel is all about today. In fact, you know it so well that some of you started to go to sleep as soon as I started talking about it. Right? We just, we're so ingrained with the core message of the gospel. But let me ask you, why do you know the gospel truth so well? You know it so well because someone told you. Someone taught you the gospel message. Not just one time, not just twice. They taught you so diligently and specifically, and maybe one person and two people and many more who joined in that this is an ingrained truth within your life. You did not just inherently wake up one day and know this, know this truth. You weren't born with this truth, and I suspect that most of you didn't learn this truth by studying the ancient Greek or Hebrew manuscripts diligently until one day, aha, Eureka, I've got the gospel. No, you didn't have to do that. Why? Because others have gone before, and they conveyed it to you, most of you, when you were very young. For others, it was later in life, but someone told you. When Paul wrote to the Romans, that how can they hear unless someone tells them? It still applies to us today. Someone has to tell us about Jesus. And chances are we had many people do that. But let me ask you, what if no one had told you the gospel message? What if no one had conveyed those truths to you? What then? What difference would it make if no one had once told you about Jesus? What ramifications would that hold for your current life and even more, eternally? For your soul. If you're not quite sure, the book of Revelations makes very clear what the ramifications are. Specifically in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, 
In verses 11 to 15, we read there that those who have believed in Jesus for salvation have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And that at the throne judgment, they will be welcomed into heaven. They will receive their reward in the presence of God Almighty. But then verses 14 and 15 states the alternate truth. For those who have not heard the name of Jesus, those who have not called out to him for salvation. It says, the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What ramifications does this knowledge have on your life? In light of this reality, if I was to ask you, on the scale of 1 to 10, how important is it to you that those people took the time and the effort to teach you the good news about Jesus? You know, if I had to answer that question, I would rate it like off the charts. It's a 15. What could be more vitally important to me personally than the eternal destiny of my soul? What could I rate as higher? What could I say has more value? And if it's that important to us sitting here today, how then would you describe the person or people who told you about Jesus? What kind of words would come to mind when you think of those who taught you the truth? Words like amazing, incredible, awesome, merciful, compassionate. How about the word beautiful? That's the word that Paul uses in verse 15. He's quoting an Old Testament prophet. When he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The prophet he is quoting is Isaiah in chapter 52, verse 7. And it's important for us to understand that in biblical times, they didn't have what we have today for communication. They didn't have, you know, cell phones with text messaging or Facebook or Snapchat or Skype or FaceTime or email. They didn't even have land phones. You know, we're talking smoke signals and and mostly messengers being sent with a message to carry from one place to another. And these messengers, when they were sent out, they usually had to travel by foot, often many miles, hazarding all sorts of things along the road to get the message from point A to point B. Now, of course, the messengers, when they were traveling, the word that they were carrying could either be a message of good news or a message of bad news. For example, we see in the book of Job, there in the story there, we read that the messengers who brought the word to Job, they came in one after the other, each bearing bad news, and it goes from bad to worse. First, the the messenger comes in and says, your herds have been stolen. The second messenger comes in and says, all of your servants have been put to death by the sword. And the final messenger comes with the death blow. Your children have been killed. The house collapsed in on them. And here we see messengers coming bearing bad news. Consider other times where there would be war happening. And the troops had gone out to face the enemy. And the people back in the city are waiting for the messenger. They're watching from the towers to see the messenger running towards the city. And they don't know if he's bringing news of victory and triumph over their enemies or if he's coming with the news of defeat and to prepare for the invading army to advance against their city walls. And so you can imagine the people in that day, what they would have been thinking when word got around that a messenger was on his way. Their hearts would have been pounding, not knowing if it was going to be good news or bad. And just imagine being a messenger, not an easy job either. 
You see, when the news was good, the messenger would be the toast of the town. Everyone wanted to just be around the messenger when the news was good. But when the news was bad, oh, being a messenger was a scary job. In fact, it was not unusual for messengers to be put in very precarious situations when they brought bad news. You know that phrase, don't shoot the messenger? That has roots in reality. You see, the very real danger that a messenger assumed anytime he brought especially a king bad news was that it was not at all unusual, just out of his anger, that messenger would lose his head for his efforts. But you see, when the messenger brought good news, then they would say the messenger's feet were beautiful. Now, the word beautiful does not mean an appearance, thankfully. (laughs) Because chances are the messenger's feet were anything but beautiful after the miles of road that they have just traveled. But when they said the messenger's feet were beautiful, what they were saying was, just in time, the, the news is good and timely. It's as if the people were saying, just when we needed good news, you brought it to us. You brought beautiful news. And so your feet, the messengers of that news, are beautiful to us. And let me just tell you that today there are people all around us who are in desperate need of some good news. They are going through difficult times. And they don't need to hear someone just say, you know, suck it up. They don't need to hear someone say, "Uh, hang in there. Or even, don't give up, things will get better. We need to put aside these cliches we say to people in a time of need. Because more than that, they need Jesus. They need God who loves them deeply. And did you know that most people come to Christ in a time of desperate need? Most people come to Christ not when their lives are rosy and everything's going great. Most people come to Christ, that turning point is when there is a difficulty or a time of crisis in their life. They're looking for something. They need something. They are either hurting or searching. And so often it's in those opportunities that we can come in and not just say, hang in there. But we can say, hey, we've got something for you that's more than just a cliche. We have Jesus. He can change your situation. And so you can see Paul's imagery here. Someone going through a tough time in need of some good news, the reply is, how timely it was that you brought this to me. And Jesus can bring hope to the most hopeless of situations. But let me ask you, who will bring the good news? Who will be the messenger? And in response to that, I would tell you straight up today, who will bring the good news of Jesus if not us? Who will not bring it but you and me? It's our job. We are the messengers. We are the ambassadors of this gospel message. We are the ones who are called to have beautiful feet as we bring the good news of Jesus to those who desperately need it. And so I say emphatically, who will bring it? You will. Who will bring it? I will. That is our calling today. But now I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor Danny, hold on just one second. You're always saying how people should be serving in the area of their gifting. And so, you know, I took one of those spiritual gifts assessment thingies and newsflash, evangelism, really low, really low. I'm not up there in evangelism. I'm down here. Not my gifting, not my job. Well, That might let you off the hook if telling people about Jesus was reserved exclusively for evangelists. But newsflash, it's not. 
Too many followers of Christ have this mistaken belief that if they don't have the gift of evangelism, then they're not responsible for sharing the gospel of Jesus with others. But I want you to know today that it is God's purpose that every single believer helps spread the good news of Jesus in some way, shape, or form. He wants us to be so invested and so engaged in it that our, that our question isn't, what's the bare minimum I can do? The question is, how can I engage more fully? How can I be more a part of letting more people know so that more people can hear the news, so that more people can go to heaven? Because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. Eternity is hanging in the balance. And so Jesus' final words to his disciples, the Great Commission, was indeed for all future disciples as well. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And every follower of Jesus Christ knows the message of the gospel. And so therefore, every follower of Jesus Christ is capable of sharing that fundamental truth of the hope of Jesus with someone else. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the moment you become a follower of Christ, that you immediately sign up to go as a missionary overseas. But what it does mean is that from the very first moment you believe and receive that incredible gift of salvation, you are now a part of that team, that community, whose primary objective is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And for some of you, that will mean going overseas and sharing Jesus in a foreign culture. For many years, I thought that was where God was calling me. But we sang that song earlier about saying, where you go, I'll go, and where you stay, I'll stay. And it's so interesting to hear Daniel share his calling to go overseas as a missionary pilot and how for me, that was what I thought I was going to do in my teenage years. And God had other plans. And he said, Danny, no, you have to stay in order to go. And for me, that meant staying here. But I'm thankful that God has called others like them to go. And for each of us, we'll have an assignment from the Father. For some of us, it'll mean staying here in our community, staying in your neighborhood, staying in your job. But for others of you, that will mean going. That will mean going into difficult circumstances, into faraway and strange places. But wherever it is that God calls, our responsibility is to follow. And that is what he is calling us to do. Wherever we are, whoever we are. And so lastly, and perhaps most importantly, making Jesus known means that every last one of us is called to continually pray and look for opportunities to share Jesus with the people around us. Because yes, people in Kenya need Jesus, and I am so glad that Daniel and his family are there helping to share him. But you know what? There's people in your neighborhood right now who need Jesus as well. Who will go to them? Who will tell them? Do we need to send missionaries into your neighborhood? Of course not. Why not? Because God's already placed one. He's placed you there. And because God has already placed someone there who can bring them the good news, they have what they need. The question is, will we be obedient to do what he has asked us to do? And this is where preparation comes into play. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, and do this with gentleness and respect. You see, each of us must take personal responsibility to be prepared, in season and out of season, to share Jesus wherever we are. Because Jesus wants us to be able to share the good news 
of what he has done in our lives with others. But we need to be prepared. And that is what we are trying to do here at Bay Avenue. We are trying to not only come together in worship to our God, but we are trying to prepare and equip you to go out to be missionaries within this community. It's not just a time of coming together and patting each other on the back. It's a time of coming together and getting ready to go back out and engage. Because I think the biggest problem we have as a church here in Canada today is we have a church that's over-equipped and under-engaged. And this is a change of stories. I had a different one written down here, but this one came to mind this morning. And I think it's fitting to share a paintball story because, well, Steve's here and we go way back in the paintball field. And my brother's too, of course. You used to always hear my paintball stories back when I was still doing it. It's been quite a few years since, I'd, since I've done that. But when we first started out paintballing in the competitive scene, we were just a ragtag bunch of kids. We just had, like, whatever we could scrape together. We had the basic equipment. We had our, our like, coveralls on from the farm and stuff that we used. And we went to our first tournament, and we looked so out of place. Like, we looked like a couple of hicks rolling in there with farm coveralls on and just, like, these old equipment that you can imagine and we come in and we see these teams who have spent literally like hundreds and thousands of dollars on their equipment they got matching uniforms and jerseys and pants and these expensive paintball guns and we're just like in awe of everything going on and when we got into play at first we were intimidated because they they just looked so much more professional than us and they were so much better equipped but once we started playing and we got over the shock of this we suddenly realized that hey we can hang with these guys Like, they may look more prepared than us, they may look more skillful than us, but when it comes to actually playing, we're every bit as good as these guys. In fact, we might even be a little bit better, and if we practice, you know, we can can really win. We can do something here. And we realized that day that having all of the equipment wasn't what made you effective. No, the preparation came in our readiness to engage the skill and the hours we'd put in the teamwork that we used on the field, the tactics that we'd learned over years of playing together. And it was in that coming together as a team we found that we could not only hang, but we eventually started to win. And yeah, eventually we looked like everyone else with the expensive gear and the matching uniforms, but it didn't start out that way. And so it's not just about being equipped, it's about being engaged. Today, too many Christians are equipped. They have all the gear. They have all the Bibles and the the apps on their phones. And they're listening to this and listening to that. And Francis Chan this. And, you know, and these are great things. And great teachers. We got more great teachers in in our country today than we know what to do with. But are we engaging with it in our everyday lives? This is where the rubber hits the road. You see, it's not just about looking the part. It's about playing the part. Paul Little, in his book entitled How to Give Away Your Faith, defines witnessing as witnessing is that deep-seated conviction that the greatest favor I can do for others is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Is that your conviction today? That better than giving someone a million dollars, better than saying, hey, I'm going to change your life, here's a check for $10 million and your own island in the Caribbean. No, that's not the best thing you could do for someone. The best thing you could do for someone is say, Let me share with you about Jesus. Do you truly believe that? Because if you do, if you do, it will show in your life. It will show in how you prioritize your time and your finances. It will show in how you prioritize everything if you truly believe that. And so let me leave you with these words again today. 
from William Carey, a humble man who would not be deterred from what God had called him to do. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God and see what God will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have this great treasure of the gospel. And that, Lord, that your salvation and even your fullness of your presence, you have seen fit to humble yourself to make us your temple, to make us your dwelling place, that your Holy Spirit lives within us. But that, Lord, you have asked us not to shroud your glory within us, not to hide that light away, but, oh Lord, to hold it up high for everyone to see, to be a city on a hill, to live out our lives in such a way that others will see the light and be drawn to it, and to ask, why are you so hopeful in a world so full of darkness and despair? And we can say, Jesus is the answer. And we're ready to give that answer. And we're eager and looking for opportunities to give that answer and to say that you are the answer. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you will, just from this morning, in whatever way, shape, or form you have stirred our spirits, Lord, that we will engage in this mission to make Jesus known. Oh, Lord, bless this church. Bless each missionary who's supported through this church. Bless those who are going to work at Bible camp this summer to make you known. And Lord, I pray that each one of us will find ways and opportunities to engage in making you known, even in our own neighborhoods. So bless this church and increase our witness for your sake and your glory. We pray it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.